When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Courier, Kylie Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer slips and scores. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside, Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. All right, what's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk for by Fanatics. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson. Today, I'm joined by PLT contributor Brian Andrews and Matt Brignani. Same crew as last week, so, uh, you know, welcome, guys. I appreciate you guys joining, as always. Uh, we're going to cover the NLL Finals, which wrapped up um, in dramatic fashion this weekend, as well as PLL Week 3, and kind of look ahead to PLL Week 4 as well. Um, as I mentioned, this podcast is presented by Fanatics, so if you are a Mammoth fan or looking to get any of the Mammoth Championship gear, definitely go to NLL Shop. Uh, you can use our link, prolacrosstalk.com slash NLL Shop to go there and that actually uh, gives us a slight kickback if you end up buying anything there. So helps us uh, keep the podcast going and we appreciate you guys supporting that link. If you do end up buying any of some Colorado mammoth gear. Um, but without uh, further ado, let's kind of talk about this NLL finals. Uh, this NLL season wrapped up in crazy fashion. Bandits were favored for a long time to win the championship, make it to the finals, win game one, and end up getting back-to-back losses to the mammoth. They weren't able to put up more than 10 goals either in both those losses. Uh, that was something that they were accustomed to scoring a lot of points throughout the year. The only team that was able to hold them under that was the Rock before the Mammoth did it now in the finals. Dylan Ward's named MVP. I kind of thought that he would be the MVP if he if they ended up pulling it off because I thought they needed a big game out of him. He delivered a 55-save game. So Dylan Ward gets over the top. You know, trade Ward has been a meme that's been uh, kind of circulating for a long time now, and he's one of the best uh, at dealing with the criticism. And, you you know, talked to him on the podcast recently. Um, And I think Adam Moore had checked, and the guy that had been tweeting trade Ward for a long time is actually now, like, suspended on Twitter or whatever. So he's not even around, you know, to – to now have Dylan Ward gloat. But congrats to Dylan Ward and the Mammoth for winning the NLL championship. 2022 NLL championship. Last time they won it was in 2006. Brian, I'll go to you because we both thought the Mammoth had a chance in this game, uh, but still crazy still to see it come to fruition, them winning back-to-back games and claiming this title. Uh, what did you see from this game that the Mammoth did so well in order to uh, knock off the Bandits? I was really happy. I mentioned last week, I was happy that the Mammoth were giving them as uh, much competition as they were because I think we all who were following the NLL season really – just kind of at a certain point accepted the the eventuality that the Bandits were going to be the champion. And the Mammoth defense really showed up. They really stifled the offensive scheme of the Bandits. They limited them in transition. Obviously, Ward won the MVP at 55 saves. He was unreal. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to the composure of the Mammoth team, especially in that last game. 
that last game was like a whole different universe in terms of officiating. The bandits just could have, you know, killed somebody and the refs wouldn't have saw it at all. The, you just have to have a lot of respect for a team like the Mammoth going into bandit land, the lion's den, getting into a street fight with the lion and then still coming out on top in front of a near record setting crowd. That's historically very hard to play in front of. There's just, that's such a stressful environment to win. And to go there and win and get booed while you're having acceptance speeches, you know, it, I was rooting for them by the end of the game, even though I was, I came into the game rooting for the bandits similar to the way I was rooting for Maryland in the NCAA championship, just because they were so dominant all season set multiple records, players and team wise, you know, so it was a shame. It was a shame that they lost after having such a dominant performance, but so much respect was earned for the mammoth for me. And uh, they might, they might end up being my second team going into next year behind the wings. Yeah, no, you got to give them a lot of credit too. You mentioned all that, that they were up against in game three. They were also without Eli McLaughlin who actually uh, was activated, but didn't play. He was a scratch. Um, So I don't know if that was more of them trying to throw the bandits a little bit off there. I don't know how healthy he was, um, but he clearly wasn't healthy enough to play in that final game and this game too, as well. So didn't have him, didn't have Ryan Lee for essentially the whole playoffs. Um, And then, you're still able to go up against this Bandits team in front of, you know, a, a home crowd of 19,000 uh, where the refs weren't on your side and pull out this victory against, you know, arguably one of the best teams. I think you can probably say the Bandits are one of the best teams to not win a championship since maybe the Toronto Rock lost to the Philadelphia Wings in 2001. Um, you know, they the, the Mammoth didn't really feel like that heavy of underdogs, but just based on this season – they kind of were, you know, against this Bandits team. And, and how many how many times did, you know, myself included, did we talk about how this championship was coming from the East? You know, the Toronto Rock versus the Bandits, that's the real championship. Whoever wins that's winning the, you know, NLL final. And, you know, the Mammoth said, we'll take your narrative and we'll throw it out the window and we'll, we'll go out and win, uh, you know, the 2022 NLL championship. So, yeah, give them a lot of credit. Uh, you know, a former wing, Anthony Joachim, had a big goal in this game. I thought he played really, really well um, throughout the, the series, too. Um, on defense and, you know, credit to the mammoth too. credit to Brad self, their GM for making the right moves. And I, I don't want to pick on the Thunderbirds, but Thunderbirds were a team that made a lot of moves that, and, and then ended up kind of looking worse after because they made a lot of moves for big key players, um, brought in some guys, some guys went out the door and it didn't end up like meshing and working out for them or whatever. And, you know, again, they, they played a tough game against the rock. So um, it's not like they had a, they didn't play well in the playoffs, but they just really didn't look like that dominant team we saw at the beginning of the season. You look at the Mammoth on the flip side, you know, Tyson Gibson's clearly a star, but they brought him to kind of being kind of a role player. Connor Robinson, who we knew was good during his rush days, um, wasn't really, you know, touted as one of their top guys compared to, you know, maybe a Mark Matthews or a Brun- uh, compared to like a Mark Matthews or a Ben McIntosh. Um, but they bring him in. He does wonders for this team. So, you know, against all odds, the Mammoth still pull it off. And I think that's, you know, give a lot of credit to Pat Coyle, the coach, for for really getting this group to buy in and, uh, you know, grind through some tough series. That SEAL series was tough. They came back. They had so many second-half comebacks. Um, and, you know, again, Dylan Ward, uh, a big reason why they were so successful because they could rely on him in net even when the defense wasn't playing at its best. So, um, yeah, it was a phenomenal championship. Uh, it was really, really chippy throughout, and I agree with you. I thought, you know, the, the Bandits did get a lot away with a lot, but, um, 
you know, didn't phase the mammoth at all. They end up pulling out the 10, eight victory. Um, and you know, they win their first championship since 2006 for this mammoth team. So congrats to them. And, uh, that they're also owned by, uh, Cronky sports. So they're having a pretty good uh, run now with the Rams winning the Super Bowl, and now the Avalanche are looking like they could win the Stanley Cup. Uh, so not bad for Stan Kroenke's uh, sports entertainment group uh, and what he's been able to do. But, Matt, any thoughts yourself on this NLL Finals or the NLL season as a whole? Um, I actually I actually did get into the NLL a lot this season. I went, I go to school in uh, upstate New York, so I went to uh, two Albany Firewolves games. That was super fun. I really enjoyed that. And um, – yeah, I actually I watched Game Three from um, midway through the first quarter till the end, and I thought it was just a really great game. I'm really glad I got into it. I'm not as knowledgeable as you guys in the NLL or as I am in the PLL, but um, I I'm still learning, and it's like really fun to watch because it's a whole different brand of lacrosse. And um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna be going to a lot more games in the future. And uh, yeah, it was a really fun season for my first real season as a fan. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's nice seeing like Albany got to get a team back again and whatever. And, you know, the growth of the sport. I mean, New York has four NLL teams, which is crazy. Rochester, Buffalo, you know, a team on Long Island and obviously Albany now, too. So New York definitely loves their lacrosse, as I know you do, Matt. Um, But you mentioned the PLL. We now finally have some guys that were playing in this NLL finals. They'll be back. Um, Ironically enough, the chaos take on the water dogs. So a lot, a handful of these bandits guys are going to face Dylan Ward in week four, presuming that they all suit up. Now, we don't know if they have any lingering injuries that they were playing through. We saw a guy like Westberg actually take a week off, um, you know, between him finishing up with the Seals and then rejoining the chaos. So it might not be a perfect story, you know, scenario where we kind of essentially are getting a game four of the NL Finals. Obviously, much lower stakes being at week four in the PLL, but I do hope we see that. It will be interesting, too. I don't know, you know, Dylan Ward's one of the few people that plays goalie um infield and box at such a high level obviously he just won nll mvp guy could be up for a PLL mvp you know depending on how this season goes but to me it's interesting to see like i wonder how hard it is for him to kind of switch gears to go from box across the field across obviously you have to play like a slight you know a much different style so um curious to see how how he does uh you know stepping back in a, a bigger net on the field but uh hopefully we do get that that'll be a friday night game and we will get to that in a little bit but we'll start off with this Chrome versus Water Dogs game. You know, we mentioned no Dylan Ward uh, for them for a third straight week. This is what kicked off week three. I'll go with you, Matt. Water Dogs, despite all the injuries, gave them a great game. Chrome still ended up on top and uh, not at the top of the standings. But what did you see from uh, this game, both sides? I think if you're the Water Dogs, um, you're happy with how you played. You know, the Chrome came in 2-0, and looking really strong, and – you're up 14-11 in the fourth quarter, and then um, that's when the injuries showed who you're missing kind of showed. You know, they're missing they're missing uh, Steve DiNapoli, their captain, really great short-stick defensive midfielder. They're missing Jake Withers, their face-off guy, and Connor Farrell. And the Water Dogs were up 14-11. Connor Farrell wins a bunch of face-offs in a row. All of a sudden, it's 14-14, and you haven't touched the ball on offense since you went up 14-11. And that was a huge difference maker. Tucci played really well. I believe he was 15 for 32. And, you know, he did that against Connor Farrell, who is normally one of the better guys in the league. So he played great. But Withers, I think, would have had a little bit more success. I don't think he would have allowed that that run that Farrell went on in the fourth quarter. It's 
for them to um, go on that huge run to take the lead. And, you know, you again Ward back. Um, I think he's an upgrade from DeLuca. I, I don't think DeLuca had the best game, but um, Ward is definitely an upgrade. He'll help them there. And, yeah, just that fourth quarter collapse by the Water Dogs again. This is another week where they blow a lead in the fourth quarter. And um, I think this also shows just a lot about the Chrome. The Chrome, you know, the great teams in this league, they always find a way to win. And even when you're not having your best game, some things are off. It was 14-11. They found a way to win, and they actually covered the spread. But, um, yeah, they still found a way to win. And I think that's, like, that's the sign of a great team is just finding a way to win when you're either down in a game, you're in a dogfight, and that's what the great team is doing. I think the Chrome are showing that they're a really great team. Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, credit to Brendan Nickturn had six-point day off of this Chrome. He's looking great, you know, through three games as a rookie. Obviously, Logan Wisnowski has looked great as well. But um, nice to see him, along those two, along with Dylan Malloy. Um, just this attack line looks great. You know, they, they have all the right pieces. Um, you couldn't ask for, you know, after losing so many starters from last year, and obviously Dylan Malloy played a little bit um, towards the end of the season, but this is really a new attack line, and they fit in seamlessly. Uh, but I do, I do want to give credit to you, Matt. You you predicted that Tucci might actually do decent against Farrell. It took him a little while to get going, but, you know, similar playing styles as Withers. So credit to you on that la- last podcast mentioning that, you know, it wasn't such a big advantage for Farrell. It did kind of pay dividends towards the end of the game. But, um, yeah, the, this Water Dogs team is interesting. Like, I still don't think they're as bad as their record, you know, um, shows. You know, no team is really ever out of it. Uh, but this defense is really – no excuses here. Like DeLuca played well week two, didn't look super great week three either. Obviously didn't look great week one, but you know, the, the dog's defense has to do better in front of him. And now even with Dylan Ward coming back, I don't think Dylan Ward's going to solve that many problems. You know, this defense just, you can't give up 17 goals in this league. It's going to be really hard to win and credit to the water dogs for even like hanging in there. Um, you know, and being able to put up that many points to, to make it competitive still at the end, despite, you know, the Chrome coming back. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. This War Dogs defense is too talented on paper to, to kind of be giving this up. And we have talked about their woes at Shorsuk defensive mini, and that's kind of what separates the, the good defenses from the greats. Um, and I also, you know, not maybe specifically this game, but week two, a lot of times their O-minis were getting caught on defense too, which is never a, a good recipe um, for, you know, a defensive performance. But, yeah, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. They're going to really have to come together. Hopefully, Dylan Ward can provide a spark for them and maybe make a few more saves that can kind of get get them going and playing at an elite level like they did last year. But um, overall, not not impressed with how this defense has played through three weeks despite this offense looking really good without Sowers. You know, and Sowers' impact, whether he's scoring or not, he draws attention. And, uh, you know, the Chrome were able to do a little bit more things, I think, on defense, even though they gave up 14 points themselves. Um, you know, it, it kind of played into their hand a little bit. So credit to the War Dogs offense for still putting up points despite not having Sours. But I'll go to you, Brian. Thoughts maybe on the Dogs or uh, you have any thoughts too on the Chrome, um, likewise on, on how good they've looked um, or, you know, pros and cons for, for both teams. I, th- I think you guys really covered it for the Water Dogs. I mean, this is the second week in a row they, they felt competitive throughout the whole game. Week one, they just showed up too slow and never caught up. Past two weeks, they just, you know, let up leads at, late in the game and they uh, couldn't keep pace. So they really just need to figure out a way to put together a full game, whether they, you know, 
come out with the pedal to the metal at the beginning of the game on offense or able to hold off uh, onslaught of shots at the end of the game. They just haven't put together full 48 minutes, and they need to figure out how to do that with the personnel that they have at hand. They are showing that they can consistently put up points, so I agree with you that it's on the defensive end to you know, make sure DeLuca or Ward or whoever is seeing shots that are low percentage shots so they can make some saves, maybe generate some transition and keep a lead. But uh, I, I think that this doesn't tell us too much about the Chrome. I think, you know, I don't think we're going to see the Chrome letting out 14 goals too many times this season. And I, I think up to this point, we know what the Chrome team is. And I think we, I personally at least, am kind of waiting for them to run into, you know, the whip snakes really to see if uh, they're really worth their medal. Yeah, I agree. Not that they haven't played bad teams, you know, recently. Um, but, you know, obviously the Redwoods didn't look good week two. We think they're a pretty bad team. Water Dogs deal with injuries and currently sit at 0-3. So their only real quality win, I would say, is Archers. You know, and you, good teams win in this league, you know, no matter what. So I'm not saying their last two wins aren't, um, you know, you know, admirable. But I, I do agree with you. It's going to be interesting to see how they, they match up against the Whip Snakes, against the Atlas team. Um, that will kind of be a true test. And I think they're up for the challenge for sure. Um, I think all those, both of those will be good teams. But, uh, yeah, de- definitely waiting to see a little bit more. Um, they're definitely a p- playoff contender this year for sure. But, uh, you know, seven teams make it. So got to see how how they do down the stretch. Uh, and we'll move on now to the Atlas versus the Whip Snakes because we mentioned both those teams. Um, two other teams sitting towards the top of the standings. Whip Snakes hand the Atlas their first loss. Um, a team that looked downright dominant the first two weeks. And unstoppable. Um, and they do it, the Whip Snakes do it despite losing still the battle at the stripe. It was, you know, closer to 50 50 than the first two weeks for uh, Trevor Batiste, but he still beats Joe Nardella, um, you know, percentage wise. And, uh, but the Whip Snakes still get the win. I'll go to you, Brian, about, uh, you know, let's maybe start with like the Whip Snakes defense and what you saw from them to be able to stifle this Atlas offense that looked so unstoppable the first two weeks. Yeah, the Whip Snakes defense is just the textbook for the not the utility, but the value in really honing fundamental skills on, on the defensive end of the ball. They, they don't press out too hard. They make their man beat them and uh, they play great help defense and they're great off ball. You never saw Eric law open once basically that entire game. And it's hard to be able to guard a man like Eric law off ball like that, but they basically force you to say to, they force you into a position, you, the opposing team, where I don't have to come get the ball from you. You have to get around me, and I'm going to make it as hard for you to do that as humanly possible. And that's, like, the simplest defensive plan you could possibly scheme up. You see, like, the chaos and even the chrome at some points during the season have gone out and really pressed teams that they felt, like, needed to calm down and set up a dodge or set up some sort of play and get those teams out of the rhythm. The Lipsnakes don't care about that. They know that the guys behind them, will cover the off balls and the picks and all these other things. And that their communication and their decision-making is so great that they don't need these complex game plans outside of maybe putting a shorty on Eric law. So they're just really a, a, a simplistic masterclass of fundamental defense. And it's really fun to watch week in and week out on the Atlas side. They were suffering on the defensive side for Atlas. Um, they were suffering from some mis- miscommunications. I felt like coming out at halftime, Rex Road was giving Rambo a little too much room to run. There were a couple times where he was getting hung up uh, at X because Rex Road couldn't get out there fast enough. And then Rambo would push aside and, and Rex Road wouldn't really meet him until Rambo was at GLE with the head of steam. And then 
that allowed Rambo to get to the island or five and five, if you like to call it that. And that's where Rambo wants to be. That's where the Whip Snake's offense is going to thrive off ball because Rambo has the option to, you know, question mark, do a million different moves or throw the ball off ball. The Atlas doesn't really have the defensive quality off ball that the Whip Snakes have. So I feel like it was a really competitive game, except for that quick run that uh, the Whip Snakes really took advantage of some miscommunications and not pristine on-ball defense from the Atlas to allow them to go up. And Atlas on the offensive side of the ball, they only had three assisted goals that I saw. And then for whatever reason, the Atlas kind of let up and let the Whip Snakes take the game away from them. I thought it was a really competitive game until, until they came back off from half, and the Whip Snakes kind of could, you know, walk away with the victory at the end because the Atlas didn't really put a lot of pressure on in the second half. Yeah, well, I think the thing with the Atlas, too, is they are only as good as the sum of their parts, and their parts are very, very good. This offense, we, we like to say, oh, everybody eats in this offense, but that is, like you said, Brian, because of a lot of assisted opportunities. You know, and actually, Jeff T, after the postgame, he only had uh, one point in this game, 50% shooting off two shots. He, uh, he said he, you know, was kind of a passenger out there, you know, which was, was kind of a little selfish. Um, kind of disagree with him being selfish because he didn't really take that many opportunities. But, yeah, he, he wasn't as involved, and they were rushing a lot of shots. Um, you know, Brian Costabile, usually, you know, great. He tends to get into some bad habits, though, where he uh, he tries to make too much happen. And he was 0 for 9 shooting um, on the day. So, um, you know, again, this offense – a lot of guys, Romar Dennis was 0 for 5, uh, Curry was 0 for 4. You know, these guys, those guys are all talented players, but they thrive when the ball's swinging around, you know, and they're getting assisted looks. And a lot of those looks, I believe, were unassisted. You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, I, I feel like they, yeah, like you said, they were very complacent. Once they kind of got down against the Whip Snakes, they felt like they needed to kind of, you know, make the home run play to to kind of get it within, you know, within striking distance but problem is they just need to kind of be patient and they they weren't really patient um you know i don't know how quickly they were getting shots off in the shot clock but i reckon they were they were not as patient as they probably could have been um and granted when they were down late they did kind of you know have a little bit of a comeback late there but um you know gotta give credit to jack and cannon uh on the other end he had a phenomenal first half and didn't honestly have that bad of a second half either they were just on defense a lot because the offense wasn't playing you know, up to par, and uh, he's historically never been too great with outside shots. They end up getting three two-pointers on him. Um, but I will say that I don't think any of the two-pointers, other than maybe Chanichuk's, were, like, bad looks. You know, like, I don't think giving up, you know, those six points off of three shots is necessarily uh, what killed him this game. I think it was the, the lack of offensive production. But, yeah, give, give credit to Whip Snakes for sure. That defense played great. Kyle Bornler looks like his, you know, top self that we've known and loved, you know, the past, you know, the previous two years, rough year last year. But as Coach Dagny has said, they didn't give him a lot of help last year either. Uh, Matt, did you see anything else that you want to add about the Whip Snakes Atlas game? Uh, I think you guys pretty much nailed it all. Um, one thing that I was thinking about as you're reading those uh, Atlas midfielder shooting numbers is maybe is this the week that Jay, that uh, Jake Carraway gets activated and tries to, I don't know about spark something, but I don't know, maybe – just um, be like just a fresh face in that offense, maybe. But I don't know after just one week if they're going to do that. But that's just an interesting thought I had while you're reading those numbers. No, that is a good thought because if they do not at least put him on the restricted roster, he will be released to the player pool. So that is something to consider. And I think this would be actually a good week for them to activate him. 
give them a go, you know, start them in the lineup, maybe for Crawley or for Romar Dennis or whatever, just, you know, mix it up a little bit. As long as they like run from the midfield, utilize him. I wouldn't mess up with that, that attack line at all. Uh, I wouldn't ruin the chemistry there, but yeah, run from the, run from the box a little bit, give him a go, you know, try to get him, you know, those open, you maybe longer range looks. Um, that's where he kind of thrived last year. So I don't hate that at all. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I don't want, I don't think you need really need to take, like, I don't think the Alice need to make any knee jerk reactions um, to this week. You know, they just got to clean some things up. I know coach Rubio told us that uh substitution game, he didn't think was very impressive. And that's some, something that the coaches need to work on, but uh, overall, yeah, this is something one that they kind of just have to put behind them. I mean, if, if whip snakes make one less of those three pointers, it's a one goal game, you know, and, and it's looking a little bit different. So, um, you know, credit, don't take anything away from the whip snakes because they, they earned those shots and they earned those goals. But, uh, you know, this game, the, the Atlas, you know, had a bad half, um, their first bad half of the season. I think they're going to take this and, and learn from it. And I think they'll come back better uh, next week for sure. Um, and speaking of scoring, you know, we, we've talked about the Atlas. We know they can score a lot of goals. This Archer's offense is loaded. They put up 20 on the Cannons, 20 to 9. Didn't even win the face-off battle either. Um, crazy. So, Matt, talk a little bit about the, this Archers-Cannons game. I know, you, like we said, you were in attendance. Uh, you know, Lyle was activated, but um, he wasn't enough to, to kind of hang with this Archers offense that just is looking absolutely potent this past two weeks. Yeah, um, well, um, my biggest – my, like, key guy from this game was Kelly. I thought if Stephen Kelly – played well. I thought the Cannons had a shot and they would have kept it closer and maybe pulled it out because this was a revenge game for him. You know, he was on the Archers the last couple of years. I remember he scored, he scored the first ever PLL goal in an Archers uniform. They trade him this offseason. He's on the Cannons. He has a chance for a revenge game. He has a great game. He goes he goes 66% and I think he had two points. He, he had a really nice goal down the um, left wing, but then he the Despite his really great game, the Cannons still lost twenty to nine, which I it like blew my mind. Just like how good the Archers looked, and they're still missing um, Grant Amen, and their and their offense still is looking really really good. So I think that this just shows that you really can't sleep on this Archers team, and their offense is just out of this world, really good. Yeah, I mean, like, they've shown the past two weeks that even if they're not winning the face-off battle, um, they can still win games. And last year, you know, that was kind of kind of evident at some points, but um, kind of reared its ugly head, you know, later in the season. Hopefully it doesn't do that again this year. Um, but I think if Inacio, getting him back in the lineup eventually, you know, he looked fine week one. I think that they'll, they'll be okay. Like, I think he can hold his own um, you know, enough, like, you know, but – then again, that was kind of Stephen Kelly, you know, the past three seasons for them too. Stephen Kelly never did poorly. He, he kind of held his own. Um, you know, we just mentioned him. But um, you, I know, Brian, you think that it was more, you know, can self-inflicted wound. You want to touch on a little about, you know, their game and how uh, they kind of played in the Archer's hand in this one. Well, yeah, I mean, basically on paper, Stephen Kelly is the only person on the Cannons that had a really good day. So a uh, terrible day to want to ban the face-off. But – like when you look at when you just look at the box score, something that really jumps out is Cannons had 21 turnovers. That's way too many to have in this league. If you're not, if the other team that you're playing doesn't also have 21 turnovers, Archers caused less than 50% of them, but still had nine caused turnovers. Like they were just giving the ball up way too much. And something that the box score doesn't tell you is 
a lot of the time Stephen Kelly would, or one of the wings of the cannons would come up with the ground ball on the faceoff and then immediately turn it over. So Stephen Kelly him or his wing unit was not generating 21 of those 30 potential possessions. They were just picking up the ground ball and then losing it. So that stat is also like really misleading. The cannons, even outside of that aspect of the game, were just entirely their worst and en- their own worst enemy. Just unforced turnovers on offense or clearing couldn't finish the job of faceoffs, um, and they weren't making stops on the defensive end. So that's literally like everything, like, like except for winning the initial round ball on the faceoff, and you just can't win games that way. So it, it the Cannons are kind of feeling like the water dogs who can't score. <laughs> and it's it's tough for me to see what their direction or what their course correction moving forward is because the execution is just, just not there. And if they're going to turn the, they're going to have games where they turn the ball over like this and their defense, which hasn't changed a whole lot since last year and was also slight, a slight weakness last year. I, I don't see how they're going to be able to make a deep playoff run that way. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, um, they're looking like one of the worser of the bunch, you know, not as bad as the Redwoods, I don't think. Um, but I'm curious to see how they do eventually against the Redwoods or a chaos team, you know, now that will be at full strength because, you know, had that big win against the Water Dogs week one, but that win has looked less significant as the weeks have progressed because of how the Water Dogs have looked. So, yeah, I don't really know what to make of the Cannons. Uh, you know, whenever you have Lyle Thompson in the lineup, you're always going to have a shot. Um, but it is a little concerning to me that, yeah, they're turning the ball over a lot. And it's not like this offense, you know, is really has been completely overhauled or anything. They added a few guys, you know, like Asher Nolting, but he had good chemistry with Lyle. Brendan Bomberry's had plenty of chemistry with Lyle and Shane Jackson before. So it's it's kind of like you said, the unforced turnovers. Like, there's not really an excuse for this offense. Even though they're missing Paul Rabel now, um, there's not an excuse for them to, like, look this poor. And the defense is, you know, something we kind of pointed out is didn't really get better. They didn't get worse, you could say, on paper, but – um, they're definitely, you know, not one of the stronger units, I don't think, in the league. So overall, this team, I think, is just average, you know, and sometimes teams can get by when you, you know, the Archers can get by if they have a weakness at the faceoff because they are so good on offense. And they got Adam Gittleman and Cage, and their defense is strong. But the Cannons right now, they just feel like, a, you know, below average unit in pretty much every position group. Um, they just happen to have the best player in the world. And I think if they were missing Lyle, um, you know, even though they look decent without him week two, I just think they're going to have a really hard time. Like, I, I think you remove Lyle from the equation, and uh, this team is looking like the worst in the league, and even adding him in, like, is he able to to make that big of an impact that can turn the, them around? I, I don't know. So, yeah, definitely interesting to see how, how they progress. Um, they're definitely not high on my list right now in terms of top teams in the league, though. And as I mentioned, the Chaos Redwoods fighting for their first win. Redwoods end up pulling it out. Uh, 11 to seven, really, really, really win. Uh, I don't think we've gotten too much more confidence in the Redwoods after this one, just given to the fact that the chaos are still missing so many guys. So um, we'll see the chaos hopefully in complete form this week. And if not this week, definitely week five, but uh, thoughts on the Redwoods, they get that win, but uh, did they change uh, your mind a little bit at all about this team at all, Brian? Not even a little bit. The only team you've been able to beat so far is, you know, the team immediately ahead of you in, in season scoring is not, doesn't feel like a very impressive win. And you said Hutton last week that this, 
should be a good, a favorable matchup for the Redwoods offense, considering how aggressive the chaos defense has come out playing this year. And, you know, sometimes when you overextend against a, an ISO heavy team that can really play into that team's favor. And I think that's a lot of what we saw, even though you're right, the game was incredibly messy. Um, it was just, it was an ugly game. I, I, I will fully admit I was looking at my phone a lot during this game. Uh, and I'm not convinced that the Redwoods are, are finding their groove after that performance. And I think, they're going to have a lot of trouble if they run into the chaos again. Yeah, you had, you had some guys like Dave Smith, Josh Byrne. Uh, they're going to put up a little bit more points than what they rolled out. No disservice to the guys they do have on the roster. But, uh, yeah, definitely, like, if you're the Redwoods, you, you know, you were looking to come out and kill the chaos. And, you know, even though you win by four, which is a lot in this league, uh, it still didn't feel, you know, completely satisfying when – their offense has been floundering, and they still only put up 11. So uh, similar thoughts, Matt. We don't have to dwell too much on this game, but uh, thoughts on uh, the Redwoods at all, or even on the chaos, too, and what you've seen from them through three weeks, uh, you know, kind of weathering the storm with uh, so many guys missing. Yeah, um, I think that the Redwoods, yeah, I wasn't impressed either. Um, I think you're playing a chaos team that is just missing so many guys. They're playing, they're, they have a lineup that is – I hate to say it, full of guys who are going to be in the player pool probably once all the, all the bandits guys come back. And the Redwoods, you know, they're full strength pretty much. And you can't really pull away from the chaos until the second half. And the, the first half of lacrosse, it was probably up there with, like, the, like, most hard-to-watch PL halves of a game that I've ever seen. And, yeah, I um, – I think that the Redwoods – I saw someone uh, use the term Deadwoods on Twitter. I wouldn't go that far. But um, I think that uh, the Redwoods definitely still have some work to do. And although this is a step in the right direction, a win is a win, I think that there's still definitely some concerns on this team, no doubt. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, if you're Andy Towers, you know, I don't think you're too concerned. Um, you, you would have liked to, you know, get one of these wins in the first three weeks. But uh, I think your biggest challenge is – is constructing the right roster because, you know, right now this roster is loaded still, like without these guys, like, you know, I mean, there's some guys that I can see, you know, getting dropped to the player pool. You know, unfortunately I think Tommy Palisak is probably a roster casualty. Um, but other than that, like you look at this roster, um, you know, Challen Rogers is a guy that had all the game for the cast. Like you want to have him in your, in your lineup. Uh, I don't know. I could potentially see him being a healthy scratch just because they want to get their, you know, guys they had success with last week. But, like, you look on now, up down on this lineup, and this is the lineup they rolled out in week three. Blaze Reardon, obviously, in that. You had Mac O'Keefe at the midfield along with Challen Rogers. Kyle Jackson played, you know, midfield and attack. Tanner Cook, obviously, they do more righties, lefties. Um, you got Austin Stotts. Uh, you got Westberg. Um, and then short stick defensive mini, Mark Lassini, Pat. Fresh, Zach Eddie's, you know, maybe one of those guys, you, you leave him off the roster, you put him on the restricted. Um, they could still get Jonathan Donville back. Like, he was on the reserve roster. Um, you know, no changes, obviously, on the, the starting defense. But, you know, I just named all those guys, and um, you're going to now have to fit in Chris Cloutier, uh, Josh Byrne, Chase Frazier, and Dane Smith. Like, I, you know, I, I maybe named two guys that you might take out of the lineup. It, it's going to be tough. You know, that's – pretty much what it comes down to. Andy Towers has a tough task deciding who he wants to play because he essentially is getting his championship squad back. Um, but 
guys like Tanner Cook, uh, who's played well, and Kyle Jackson, who had success with them last year in that championship run. Ryan Smith had success with them in the championship run. Like, you know, those are guys that are going to stay on your roster probably. So does that mean Austin Stotts is a, you know, casualty, uh, goes to the restricted roster? Or, you know, does that mean, you know, Chad Rogers is, you know, or do you give some of these bandits guys some rest and try to find some different lineups to, to roll out? I don't know what the answer is. Um, good problem to have, but uh, definitely one that is not going to be fun for any towers to kind of have to decide going into week four. Um, but Another big thing we had this weekend, in addition to these four games, were uh, the Pro Lacrosse Hall of Fame was recognized. So they had made those announcements back in February. Uh, since you were in attendance, Matt, you want to talk a little bit about the ceremony? I know it was relatively short, but um, kind of thoughts on how they honored these uh, 11 guys on the, entering the Pro Lacrosse Hall of Fame and uh, kind of talk a little bit about the, the gold jacket ceremony. Um, yeah, the uh, ceremony, it, it happened uh, during halftime of the um, game that was on ABC um archers uh cannons and um i thought it was really really cool to just like it's almost like the pro football hall of fame when they get the gold jackets at the uh at the ceremony um it was really cool to see well the uh plo commissioner mike rabel put the jackets on them i thought that was a really cool moment for them and um they just kind of like read off each player's teams that they played for and their accomplishments. And yeah, it was a really, really cool ceremony. Um, it was cool to see guys that like I looked up to growing up getting inducted. And um, yeah, I, I really liked the gold jackets too. I thought that was a really nice touch and a uh, really cool ceremony. And I'm, I'm interested to see like the players that will continue to go in and the players that will continue to, uh, get inducted year after year because, like, it'll be more and more players that, like, I grew up watching in the MLL. So I thought that was a really, really cool moment. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, I kind of – I love that they did the kind of starting lineup format this year, but I hope they kind of abandoned it in order to get some of these guys in because they're, they have a lot to backfill, you know, uh, in terms of older MLL legends as well as, you know, newly retired guys in a couple of years that they're going to have to get in. But, uh, yeah, definitely nice to see them getting honored. You know, we've been fortunate enough to – I've interviewed guys like Casey Powell, Mark Millen, and Paul Cantabini on this podcast. So definitely go back and look at listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Um, particularly the Paul Cantabini one happened right after he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So um, definitely check that one out. Nice touch to that. His uh, mom returned his cleats that he had left on the field in his last game. So nice story there. If you haven't heard that, definitely check out our episode with him. But yeah, nice, nice touch by the the, the Ravels and by uh, the PLL to kind of honor those guys. Definitely looking forward to seeing how they do that going forward. Nice to have you know pro lacrosse, pro field lacrosse all under one roof again. Um, but we'll go down to PLL Week Four in Baltimore. Probably going to be a sold out crowd in Homewood, like it always is. Starting off the night with a rivalry game between the Whipsnakes and Redwoods, although it feels a little bit less of a, a rivalry game just because Redwoods have looked so poor. But um, I'll go to you, Brian. Think the Redwoods can maybe make it a game against the Whip Snakes? Kind of, you know, add a little bit to this rivalry. You think they're going to be motivated to to make it close, or uh, you think it's a Whip Snakes game to lose? Maybe I'm just salty because the Atlas just lost the Whip Snakes, and I had to look at you know graphics saying the Atlas are owned for a lifetime against the Whip Snakes. Uh, but I don't really get the whole rivalry thing here, considering that the Whip Snakes have such a heavy. Uh, they have such a winning record against the Redwoods historically. And I don't think this is the year that the Redwoods should be expected to pull a win out, at least not at this juncture of the season. So I want to say going into this game that the 
the Whip Snakes are just going to smack the Redwoods. But I just know that's just never the Whip Snakes style. I mean, their first two weeks, they, as I said earlier, they narrowly escape teams that are showing that they're not, you know, the strongest in the league. And then they go out and then they beat the Atlas by four. So I just think the Whip Snakes are addicted to keeping keeping games close and uh, letting their opponents have some hope that they're going to stay in the game for a little too long. And then, you know, Rainbow's going to shoot an OT winner. So I, I think the game's still going to end up somehow being close. But uh, I think the Whip Snakes are going to be in control steadily the whole time. Yeah, similar thoughts to you, Matt, or how do you feel about this game? Um, yeah, I have similar thoughts, too. I think that, you know, m- well, most of the games in this, like, rivalry um, have been close. And I think the Whip Snakes are the better team. I think the Redwoods still have problems that they need to iron out. Um, TD Ireland hasn't been as, as dominant this season as I thought he would be. So I think Joan Ardella is going to have a pretty good game against him. Like, And, um, yeah, I think that, the whip snakes are going to come out with this one, but uh, I don't think it's going to be the blowout like everyone thinks it's going to be. Well, at least on paper, it should be. Rare that we see blowouts. Um, I will say though, I do think the whip snakes are going to kill them. Um, I thought the Redwoods had a favorable matchup last week against the Chaos. Obviously, they pulled the win, even though they didn't look that impressive. Still, um, I just don't think they're going to match up well against this team. I think this defense is going to really limit their, you know offensive opportunities like quality offensive opportunities i think the battle of the stripe will be close you know even if td does perhaps edge out nardella um and i just think this whip snakes offense is going to be able to you know effectively neutralize this defense and put some past troutner so um you know might come back to, to bite me you know maybe we do see a close game maybe the roads do even pull off the upset but right now from what i've seen even with the whip snakes not looking great you know really the first two weeks um, I think they're going to they have a pretty solid day against the Redwoods, in my opinion. But we'll see. See if I'm right. See if it's a little bit closer. Who knows? Obviously, I, I'd like it to be a close game. We want close games in this league. But um, this, this is one I think could get out of hand pretty quickly. Moving on to Chaos Water Dogs, we kind of hinted at this one earlier because you will have the return of hopefully some Bandits players and Dylan Ward and Cage um, if all goes according to plan. Um, thoughts on this one? Both teams looking for their first win. One of them's not going to get it this week. Uh, you know, I know we're, we like talking betting a little bit, and if you guys are interested in more on that, bet on lacrosse will come out later this week as well. But chaos are favored in this game. Uh, Brian, do you think it, it's kind of the chaos's turn to get a win here, or maybe the Water Dogs get it done despite their injuries? Yeah, I, I kind of hate to say it, but I think this dep- who returns from the NLL dependent. Uh, but if, if the rosters are as we know them currently, uh, I think it's going to turn into a Woods chaos from last week. I think it has the potential to be kind of a slower, sloppier game, uh, considering, you know, plays in net. And I think that the chaos aggressive style of defense will be well suited to the injured water dogs and the sourless uh, water dogs. So I think the chaos are going to have a little bit of a better time pressing out uh, than they did against the Redwoods. So I think the games could be a really close slog. Uh, but ultimately, I, th- I think the Water Dogs are going to be able to pull this one out. My tune would totally change if some of the offensive firepower uh, came back for the chaos, though. But I, I don't want to commit hard to that stance and then have them wait a week before they can come back to recover from the really long NLL season. Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, I, I think, you know, regardless of whether they get their guys back, I don't think Dylan Ward really will – fix the defensive issues and 
a lot of the problems with the War Dogs are those quick goals off the face-off or quick goals in transition. Chaos love their transition goals. I think Chaos, if they're able to get some of those transition goals, uh, I think I think they could could win this game pretty. I don't say easily, but I, I think they should win this game, um, even if they're not having some of their guys back, even because you know we just laid out their roster as is, it's pretty good on paper already. Um, so it will be interesting, you know, if Withers is back, definitely gives a little bit more of an edge to them. Um, you know, depending on if Adler's back. So that, that's also kind of interesting too, whether it's Adler versus Withers, whether it's Tommy Kelly versus Withers, whether it's Zach Tucci versus Adler, Zach Tucci versus Tommy Kelly, you know, we, we could see a bunch of different matchups at the stripe. Um, but right now I do think the chaos, uh, it, it's a good matchup for them to kind of get right. Uh, and for the water dogs, they definitely have a chance. But um, I just think that this defense has to, you know, play a little bit better. And this chaos offense is not by the numbers at all. So it's going to be harder for them, I think, to even uh, to match up with this team. But I don't know. Do you feel the same way, Brian, a little bit to that regard in terms of the Water Dogs defense? I, yes, but I also think in terms of the, the face-off matchup with Withers, I think a lot of the, the turnover, turnover issues that the Water Dogs uh, – were facing and some of the some of the face-off woes will go away and it'll allow them to control the ball a little bit more and also outside of transition the chaos's offense as it stands right now um has been really slow on the offensive end so if if the water dogs are able to control the pace and limit that transition i i i don't see how the chaos really pull away even though the water dogs have been struggling slightly on the defensive end the pace at which the chaos offense has been finding their first shot, at least from a visual inspection, has felt so slow that I think I, I think the whip snakes aren't at such a disadvantage as long as they limit transition. No, good point. So yeah, you know, pretty much an agreement that it will come down to whether the chaos can generate transition or not. I think they might be able to. You think you know water dogs are able to maybe keep it in check, especially if Withers is back. Matt, your thoughts on this game? Similar um, to either one of us, or you got a different angle kind of with this one? Um, yeah, I think it honestly just depends on who's in the lineup. Like you guys said, like there, there could be so many different combinations at the face off X. Um, I think that Brian made a good point. It's a really long NLL season. So are we going to get that playoff run chaos offense that we saw last year? Or are these guys going to be dealing with some lingering injuries after a super long, really hard fought NLL finals when guys were just literally beating each other up? how will that affect the um the players on the chaos and Dylan Ward I honestly I I'm not expecting Dylan Ward to be like a godsend for the water dogs and fix their defense I think he'll help out a lot but I'm I'm not gonna blame him he's probably gonna go on a championship bender of some kind so he's probably not uh gonna be like 100% dialed in so I think that um it honestly just depends on that injury report and who's playing. I I don't think you can pick a winner here until you see that. No, for sure. We won't know that really till Wednesday. We'll get a better idea of, you know, who's questionable, who's doubtful, who's activated. Um, and then you really don't know until like the day before even, you know, kind of what that final lineup is going to look like. We saw that with Grant Amon being in and out. Um, so yeah, definitely interesting this one. Uh, then we move on to Cannes Chrome on Saturday. You know, we mentioned kind of, the highs of the Chrome, the lows of the cannons. Um, so I, I'll kind of simplify the question. 
do we think the cannons have you know a decent shot at beating the chrome in this game um you know obviously any team has a shot in this league but um or do we think it's going to be you know a four no start for this chrome team start with you brian I think this is a really tough matchup to fix as many issues as the Cannons demonstrated that they have this past weekend. Uh, I think Farrell is going to be a really tough matchup for Kelly. So I think that potential advantage is going to go away. Uh, I think the aggressive and very uh, impressive uh, Chrome defense is going to pose a problem, even though the Cannons do have a very potent offense. If the Chrome can can, uh, cause some turnovers, in addition to – what I'm going to presume will be a number of unforced turnovers from the cannons. Uh, I think the Chrome from the faceoff and from those turnovers are going to be able to generate a lot of transition, which the cannons have historically been very poor at dealing with. So I, I don't even, I, I think at a certain point, the cannons are going to have to switch around their personnel a little bit and find a groove that seems to, I don't know if it would solve some problems, but they need to make changes to try to just invigorate some life in so many different parts of their team. And the Chrome are, are going to be a really hard team to make such strong adjustments for. I 100% agree with Brian. I think that um, the Chrome's defense has been impressive this season. And I think that the Cannons, besides Lyle, I don't know if they really have like the, the talent to really um, – uh, beat this chrome defense like the archers defense they're good but as brian said the cannons they beat themselves and i think that um this chrome defense is a little bit better than the archers defense that the cannons saw last week that they didn't look great against and i think that pharaoh will um make the face-off battle close if not the chrome will have the advantage there and i think that uh the cannons are gonna have a really tough time this game I do. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think just the, the Chrome's opportunisticness too, that that's kind of what won them that game against the water dogs. You know, they kind of, they got that goal. They tied it up at 14 and then even going up 15, 14, they never took the pedal off the metal, you know, where some teams will get complacent and play not to lose. They, they played to win, you know, and end up getting two more goals out of it. Um, I think this game, you know, could be close. Um, I don't think, you know, it's going to be like compared to the whip snakes, redwoods, where I think whip snakes, it, it could get out of hand. I don't think the Chrome will really pull away from this cannons team at all. I don't think we'll see another 29 loss like last week. Um, but I do think this is a good matchup for the Chrome up and down the board, defense, offense, face off stripe. Um, you know, it might be a little bit more 50, 50 at the face off stripe, but, um, I think as long as Chrome, limit their mistakes, which they've been pretty savvy in limiting those mistakes. The probably last game was the one where they had a lot of turnovers that kind of, you know, cost them that lead and eventually had to get dig that out of a hole there. But um, I think as long as the Chrome don't beat themselves, they should win this game. Um, You know, and I think that's where it's going to come down to the cannons, forcing them to kind of beat themselves, forcing them, causing some turnovers, this defense, if this defense comes out and, you know, really takes it to the Chrome and, does, you know, cause some transition opportunities for their offense. That's where I think you see the cans build a nice lead and, uh, uh, and maybe pull this one out. But yeah, I'm leaning Chrome as well for this one. Just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't look good on paper for the cannons so far this year. So I'm going to lean Chrome as well. Final game of the weekend, probably the most anticipated one, Atlas versus Archers. 
Archer's, you know, lost to that Chrome team, so they're two and one, but uh, you know, Atlas as well, sitting at two and one. Both these teams feel like they could have easily been three and O teams. You could make a case for both of them being at the top of the standings despite being at two and one. Uh what are your thoughts on this game? I'll go to our resident Atlas fan, Brian. Uh, you know, do you think the Atlas get it done against this Archers team or do you think it's a, a very close one? I think it's a close one. I think this is gonna feel like that like seventeen sixteen game last year between the Atlas and the Cannons. I think it's just gonna be you know, shooting from the hip from start to finish. Uh, I think the Atlas offense is going to come out, you know, with their ass on fire and just gunning for the goal the entire time. I would hate to be Kincannon or Gittleman because uh, I feel like the Atlas offense is going to feel like they need to make up for the performance against the Whipsnakes, where I know that they know that they underperformed a little and didn't come out with the sense of urgency that was required. Uh, and that, But that's the name of the game for the offense they're going to do that they are really good at being their matchup drawing a slide and finding off ball uh open shooters and i think there are plenty of times where atlas have demonstrated that that is not one of their defensive strengths even though k ben rapports is a great off ball defender um a lot of their strengths rely around um shutting down their 1v1 matchups and they have a lot of personnel that are really good at doing that they're gonna have to show to beat uh, this archers, this very potent archers offense coming off of a twenty goal win, that they are going to have to play phenomenal off ball defense. So that's their key to win. Uh, but I think it's going to be super close and very high scoring. Um, I think that the key. Well, as a face off guy, I always look at the face off matchup. I think that Batiste against. This should be Anasio if he gets his visa issues uh, fixed, like I think he will. Or if it's um, the other guy, uh, Frankie Labetti, I think his name is. But I think that the Atlas have such an such an advantage there. I'd be I'd be shocked if they didn't win sixty percent of the draws because I think Trevor is just that much better than either guy that the Archers put out, and I think that'll be um, the difference in this game. I think that uh, the Atlas, I think. You know, they'll come back um, this week a little, little pissed off after that loss. And I think that they're going to um, – I I just think that they're going to pull it out. I think that they have such an advantage at the stripe. And I think that um, the players on offense, they're going to hold themselves accountable. They know that they struggled shooting and they struggled moving the ball. And I think that um, they'll fix the mistakes. And I think Ben Rubio is going to – watch the film super closely, and he's going to realize where they went wrong. He's going to adjust, and I think that the Atlas are going to pull this one out, and I think that the key is going to be Trevor Baptiste just giving the Atlas offense so many more opportunities than the Archers offense, and although the Archers offense is one of the best in the league, I think that the Atlas are too, and the Atlas offense are just going to have more opportunities in this game. Yeah, I, I tend to lean Atlas in this one as well. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one for sure. I think it's, you know, hopefully there's live betting on it because I think it's going to be up and down. Like, I, I could easily see Atlas going on a four-goal run, Archers going on a four-goal run, Atlas going on a two-goal run, Archers going on a two-goal run. Like, I think it's going to be that type of game where these teams are going to score in bunches, but they're going to still, like, have, you know, five or six lead changes by the, you know, when it's all said and done. Um, the, the real question is, Who's going to have more two-point attempts, Kobe Smith or Scott Ratliff or Jared Connors? 
Yeah, that's a, a great question. We, we can even see, uh, you know, maybe Graham Hasek go over the midline stuff. He doesn't tend to do that, but we know in the NLL he can score in transition as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's going to be an interesting one. Um, you know, both these teams have a lot of two-point threats, um, so we could see that. I think, though, yeah, I, I think it's – I think both teams are going to play fast because I think that's – the the way they like to play or whatever. Clearly, you know, the Atlas um, got into kind of a, a slodge of a game against the Whip Snakes, and I don't think they want to repeat that. So, um, you know, I think uh, patience is still going to be kind of the name of the game when it comes to being in settled offense, but I think these teams are going to push and transition a lot. I do think it's going to be high scoring as well. Um, you know, bet on lacrosse, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but over-under set at 25 and a half. That's already pretty high, so I don't know if I – and say over that i'd probably lean over that but you know these two defenses can play really really well as well so going to be interesting definitely looking forward to this one this is probably the one i'm looking forward to the most and uh, a lot on the line for these teams one team will move to three and one one will sit at 500 you know after great starts of the season for them so honestly if you're if you're them definitely want to be three and one as opposed to 500 so definitely looking forward to that but that's going to do it for us thank you guys for listening if you tune in late uh this episode will be on our podcast stream as well. Please uh, subscribe to that if you don't already. Leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, But we appreciate you guys tuning in. Appreciate you, Brian and Matt, for joining me and all our listeners for tuning in each week to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. 